Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Good morning, friends. I hope and pray you are well. Let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, as we uh, uh, begin our uh, sermon for today, and especially as we enter our fourth week, Lord, uh, be with us in our, our small groups on the Holy Spirit, especially today, Lord. Give us wisdom and understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a story told of two kids, Rania and Ramiz. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And uh, Rania was the older of the two. Uh, she was two years older than her, her little brother. And uh, growing up, like, you know, a lot of siblings, they fought a little bit. Actually, well, every set of siblings generally fights at least a little bit. But these two took it to the next level. They would fight over everything even for the smallest tiniest thing especially when they were in the car they would they would you know argue well i saw that first no i saw it first or you know when they were when they were at home they would argue over the littlest things and frankly it was getting out of hand now mom and dad they were trying to figure out how how do we handle this and and so they started implementing uh measures of of trying to be helpful and to some degree disciplining because they were just so over the top. Well, one night, mom and dad had gone to bed. They were in uh, each of their rooms, and yet both of them were somehow hungry at the same time. So both of the kids snuck downstairs at their own time, and they ended up in the kitchen. And they both, at the same time, ended up at the cookie jar. <laughs> and when they got to the cookie jar, one got the bottom, the other got the top, and they started to pull on it. Like, uh, oh, what's, what's the, a tug of war. One of them said, hey, I got it first. I'm gonna get the cookie first. No, I was here first. I'm older. And back and forth, back and forth, they started to actually yell, no, it's my turn, I want the cookie until all of a sudden, <laughs> one of them let go of the cookie jar. And when one side lets go and the other is pulling, the one who was holding the cookie jar fell back and unfortunately had the cookie jar. And when it landed on the ground, it fell apart. And Rami's, the younger of the two, tried to avoid stepping on, on, uh, uh, on the, I don't know if it was porcelain or what, but his foot caught a piece and it cut his foot pretty bad. Now, of course, with all of the commotion, mom and dad woke up, they headed downstairs and they found the two kids. And all of a sudden, without even stopping a being, <laughs> he did it, she did it. No, I didn't do that, you did it. Parents finally had it enough with it. So they told Rania to go upstairs, go to bed. Ramiz, 
he uh, had to go and get his foot, I believe, sutured up. And when they got home the next day, they decided they had to go with the last, last idea. They were going to send Ramiz away to boarding school. And Rania thought, this is awesome! Because she would have the whole house to herself. She would have the kitchen. She would have the TV. She could do whatever she wanted without her pesky brother. Life was grand for two days. About the second day, though, she kind of felt a little lonely. Now, it was just her and her parents, and she would have to deal directly with her parents. She didn't have her brother there to kind of be that little buffer. And quite frankly, she didn't want to admit it, but she actually missed her brother. As, as argumentative as they were, she fought with him because she loved him. And now he was away. Later that night, she went to her parents and she told her mom and dad, Mom, Dad, I really, really miss Ramiz. And if you bring him back, I promise, I promise I'll behave and not argue. Now, Mom and Dad are just dumbfounded by this. But, you know, Mom and Dad, they got to play it cool. All right? So they don't let anything on. I mean, inside, their, their hearts are rejoicing. They play it cool. And they said, okay, well, we'll think about it. <laughs> Next day goes by. Rania goes to school. When she gets home, there, standing at the doorway, is her brother. And when she saw her brother, she ran up and she grabbed him and held him. Now, being that they were still kids, they didn't quite let the whole bickering business go, but it certainly toned down to where it was, I guess you could say it was manageable. You know, uh, there's this saying that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Interestingly enough, now imagine going back to when Jesus and the disciples were on. Imagine now being one of the disciples after Jesus had died and missing him dearly. This was, this was not the ending they had expected. Why did Jesus allow himself to die? And after all of the miracles that he performed, and as the son of God, surely he could have warded off everyone and established his kingdom. Now today I'd like to begin our sermon uh, today by uh, going to the book of Acts and specifically chapter one. The disciples are all gathered around Jesus. It's been an epic journey Jesus has died, he's risen again, and, and Jesus several times meets with them and has to prove that it was really him. And some of his disciples, such as Thomas, couldn't believe that it was really him. Of course, he had the scars to prove it, and after doing so, after showing the doubters, believed. Now in Acts 1, okay, verses 6 through 11, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Oh, they wanted, a, they wanted a final answer, but they're not getting it here. But you will receive power when, you, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, and then suddenly, Two men dressed in white stood beside them. 
Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Right? Now, man, there's a lot of rich things we could extrapolate from this one text and, and the promise of Jesus coming back. I look forward to that day. But, you know, Jesus indicated that there would be a helper. In fact, even in John 14, verse 26, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a comforter. He also refers to the Holy Spirit as a spirit of truth in John 14, 17, 15, 26, and 16, 13. Now, fast forward, okay? So Jesus has, has gone into heaven. The disciples, what do they do? They get together and they pray. It was a common thing that they did, and much like we should also uh, uh, have as a part of our life. Now, in the next chapter, starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Sound familiar? John 3, verse 8. Came from the heavens and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Now they were staying, sorry, in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Wow. What, what, a, what another stark image as well. What one, I don't know if it's stark, but just amazing. So now imagine being one of the disciples and, and also a member of the crowd. They're observing and all of a sudden you know, you're not a Galilean, you don't speak the same language, but now you can suddenly understand all of them. So all of these individuals are gathered together. They experience, as, as uh, scripture says, a blowing of a violent wind, tongues of fire, and everyone was able to understand in spite of the fact that they spoke different languages. Everybody's able to understand each other. God was performing a miracle in the midst of all of these people. Now, when you look back in scripture, okay, uh, there's a story that actually has a, a, a similar theme, I guess, albeit with an opposite ending. When you, when you go to scripture, there's a story in Genesis 11 where there's a, a group of people who all spoke the same language. They all wanted to build a city and tower that would reach the heavens, right? They were all united in one purpose to build a center, a city, to be able to have the ability to see everything. But the problem is, that with their goal is that it was the basis to serve themselves and their desires. But that's not what God had in mind for humanity. So God, quote, confuses them. And suddenly they were able, unable to speak to one another. They didn't see eye to eye and eventually gave up on this project. Project we, the, known as the Tower of Babel or Babel. It's, 
And in Acts 2, it's the opposite experience. The promised Holy Spirit moves in a way that all who were present were able to understand clearly what the disciples were talking about. Now, of course, someone in the crowd thought, hey, well, maybe they're drunk. But then Peter steps up as a leader and he begins to share with everyone about Jesus. And he gives them a short history lesson that every Jewish believer there would have been able to understand. Later in verses 29 through 33, uh, Peter goes on, he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, right? Well-known guy, David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God had raised this Jesus to life, and we were all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Now, the purpose of the Holy Spirit was to help the people understand who God is and to propel the gospel forward. And in Acts 2, we see that the Holy Spirit uses the disciples to convict the people from different places and languages about who Jesus was, who God was. And over 3,000 people gave their lives and were baptized on that account. All right, so what's the takeaway? Seth points out that Pentecost points us to Jesus. Okay, Pentecost points us to Jesus. In fact, even Ellen White makes this point in her book, in the Acts of the Apostles, Christ's ascension to heaven was a signal that his followers were to receive the promised blessing. For this, they were to wait before they entered upon their work. And when Christ had passed within the heavenly gates, he was enthroned amidst the adoration of the angels. And as soon as this ceremony was completed, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples in rich currents, and Christ was indeed glorified, even with the glory which he had with the Father from all eternity. And the Pentecostal outpouring was heaven's communication that the Redeemer's inauguration was accomplished. And according to his promise, he had sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to his followers as a token that he had, as priest and king, received all authority in heaven and on earth and was the anointed one over his people. And so while Jesus has been exalted and sits on the throne, the Holy Spirit has worked through the disciples, Peter, Paul, John, James, all of them, and also continues to work with us to share the good news of Jesus. Now, the purpose of speaking in tongues allowed the disciples to help those who understand who Jesus was. It was clear and helpful. There was no misunderstanding. Now, some of you are probably wondering, as you're watching or listening, you're probably wondering, I mean, is it acceptable to speak in tongues? It's, it's a question that some of us probably you know, maybe we were told, no, it's not acceptable. It's not right. It's not proper. But actually, I, I would argue that, it, yes, it is acceptable. Because if you, if you even look in 1 Corinthians, it mentions that speaking in tongues is actually a spiritual gift. Now, when you dig deeper into the Greek, the word tongue is, is translated glossia. It's, it's referring to an organ of the body. And when you read Acts in the context, it's referencing that speaking in a tongue is that of helping others to understand. It wasn't an un unintelligible. Everybody could understand. And, and later you'll find that 
uh, if somebody was speaking in tongues, they had an interpreter. So they could understand who God was or Jesus in their own language. In fact, there's another instance in Acts 10 when Paul visits Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they also were able to understand everything that Peter spoke about. In fact, Paul uh, also, sorry, Acts also points out that the believers were uh, amazed that the Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even over the Gentiles. Now, if you go further into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, it does reference uh, speaking of tongues, but there's some challenges here, especially in, in Corinth, okay? Uh, in Corinth, there was an the issue of, of pride. In fact, <laughs> one could say, who was more spiritual? In fact, those who had the gift of speaking in tongues kind of maybe were arguing that, hey, I have this gift, I'm, I'm therefore maybe a little better, more superior, right? Now, when Paul writes, sometimes some of his letters have usually an encouraging note at the beginning, but yet at some point, it's almost like he's a dad who's having to address uh, a misbehaving child because all of his letters are to people generally or uh, uh, to churches that he knows and is familiar with. He cares about them, he loves them, right? Uh, one letter, though, he does write that he, he, he's not very familiar with. But generally, um, sometimes Paul has to uh, lay down a little bit of uh, spiritual fatherly discipline. <laughs> and in the first letter to Corinth, he's having to correct some serious misunderstandings and abuses. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14, I, some, they actually have a list of, of spiritual gifts. And those who have the ability to speak in tongues felt that, again, they were... They, felt maybe perhaps some way that they were superior to those who were not, did not have the, the gift of, of speaking in tongues. Now in chapter 12, Paul also uses an analogy of the church like a body. Each part of the body is important because each part plays a necessary role for the body to function in a healthy way. No part is superior to others, right? You gotta have to have a brain, you have to have a heart, you have to have legs, you have to have arms, uh, you have to have all the organs in your stomach, right? All of that to make sure that you can function to the best of your ability. But what was, what was the wedge that was driven into the Corinthian church? So there were some who were part of the corporate worship who couldn't even understand those who were speaking in tongues. Okay, now remember, like in Acts, Acts 2, the purpose of speaking in tongues was to help others to know and understand and ultimately to be able to praise and edify God. Yet people were trying to build themselves up instead of the church. So Paul lays down some simple advice, okay? He gives some clarity in chapter 14, verses 13 through 19. He says, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else know who is now put in the position of an inquirer? Say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying, what you're talking about. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified. They can't understand. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So here, Paul is instructing in the context of corporate worship. This is not private worship, but in corporate worship, that if you're praying and speaking in tongues, be able to have it interpreted if necessary so that others may understand and are edified. Okay? So again, the purpose of speaking in tongues is to uplift and praise God together. Now, uh, you know, when uh, in, in Acts 2, it actually also references the speaking of the, the tongues of fire when it comes down. Um, you know, when I, I think of tongues of fire, there's another uh, passage that we can find in James 3 that talks about how the mouth, you know, we, we can praise God, but yet sometimes we also use our mouth to curse and curse others or speak ill will of others. And that's much like a fire, something that you cannot contain. In fact, I think we actually talked about this not too long ago, but just as a reminder, when it comes to tongues of fire, be careful what you say. We're not here to tear one another apart. We're not here to tear uh, other people down, but we're here to help uplift and edify. Now, when it comes to maybe you may disagree, but take the time listen to them, try to understand and gain their perspective. Let's lead with love, not with fire. Maybe have a passionate desire to, to share the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. But to do so with love. Now, what's the big picture? Ultimately, it's, it's to seek Jesus and to share Jesus with others. That's what the gift of speaking of tongues was all about in Scripture to share Jesus, to make sure everybody could understand who Jesus was. So, may you look to Jesus. May he be glorified. Come together, worship together. May the Holy Spirit be with you. Work through you and help others to see who Jesus is, that the gospel may be preached. And if you've watched my video this past week, may you be a love letter that Jesus is writing to the world. If you want to know more about who Jesus is, reach out to us via the contact information that we shared earlier. And may God bless you and see you next week. Father in heaven, Lord, what a series. Lord, sometimes scripture is hard and we need to be diligent and look at the whole big picture. Help us to do so. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to be mindful of what we say. But ultimately, Lord, may we seek you with everything because that should be our greatest desire. Help us in all matters of faith and life with our families. And uh, Lord, it's been a long journey, but yet we know that you are with us. Take care of us. Be with us until we meet again next week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Grace and peace, everyone. Take care. Look forward to seeing you. God bless. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.